Ernest, what's up? Look, I want to put you on to something that's been making waves in the personal finance world. If you've been relying on Mint to manage your finances, I got some news that might startle you at first. Mint is no more. But hold on, because every cloud has its silver lining. And in this case, that lining is Monarch Money. For those of us searching for a robust, user-friendly alternative, Monarch Money is stepping up to the plate. And from personal experience, it's hitting a home run. Let's get personal for a moment. Managing finances can be a maze of confusion, stress, and time consumption. Believe me, I've been there, jumping from one finance app to another, hoping to find that one platform that simplifies everything. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design transformed my approach to managing finances. What truly sets Monarch apart for me, though, is its collaboration feature. With money being a top Discord trigger for many couples, the ability to seamlessly manage finances with my wife has been a game changer. No extra costs, just shared goals and clarity. But Monarch isn't just about managing your current finances, it's about building your future. Saving for that dream house, your wedding, or a once in a lifetime vacation becomes not just a possibility, but a reality with Monarch's intuitive tools. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal held it as the best app for savings growth. Monarch Money represents the next evolution in personal finance apps. It's an ad-free haven where your experience is the priority, constantly refined based on real user feedback. It's everything we've been asking for, intuitive, powerful, and relentlessly focused on user satisfaction. Now, for a bit more practicality, Monarch makes transitioning from Mint a breeze ensuring you can bring all your tags and categories with you. It's intuitive design, customization options, and commitment to privacy and an ad-free experience make it stand out in the sea of competitors. Look, after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash leisure. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash leisure for your extended 30-day free trial. Earners, what's up? Look, I want to give y'all a little peek behind the curtain of producing Earn Your Leisure. It's a lot more than just sitting down and chatting. It involves meticulous planning, recording, editing, and then promoting each episode to ensure it reaches all of you. And if you picked up any of our merch, then you know there's a whole extra layer of logistics from inventory management to shipping. Running a podcast is like running a small business. And speaking of business, I know many of you entrepreneurs are involved in e-commerce. You understand how crucial it is to streamline operations and cut costs wherever possible. That's why I want to talk to you about ShipStation, the multi-carrier shipping solution that integrates seamlessly with all your online sales channels. It's all about optimizing your shipping, connecting with expert partners, and freeing up more of your time to focus on scaling your business. Now let's talk about our experience with ShipStation. This tool has been a game changer for us, especially with automating routine tasks. Being able to manage everything from one dashboard and print shipping labels with just a click, absolute lifesavers. Plus, the discounts we get on shipping costs are incredible. Honestly, it feels like we're saving thousands. And as our show and merch sales have grown, ShipStation's robust automation and reporting features have helped us keep up without missing a beat. For those of you who get overwhelmed by order volumes, ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard is a dream come true. You can import orders from any sales channel, apply shipping preferences automatically, and handle customer service issues right there. 
Not to mention the savings with up to 89% off carrier rates like UPS, DHL Express, and USPS. It's no wonder over 130,000 companies stick with ShipStation long-term. So, are you ready to turn your shipping challenges into growth opportunities? Head over to ShipStation.com and use promo code EARN for a free 60-day trial. Again, that's ShipStation.com, promo code EARN. Start streamlining your shipping and scaling your business today. First and foremost, can you explain the basic principles of antitrust laws and um, why they are important to protecting our economic freedoms? For sure. So antitrust and its related cousin, uh, the anti-monopoly framework, are really about the rules that companies have to abide by um, when they compete. So competition is good. It is the law of the land in this country. And we like competition because it basically means that companies have to compete to provide the best service. It keeps prices down. And what antitrust does is it prescribes some really simple, flexible rules so that you don't have monopolies, right? Which is when one company controls, uh, you know, the provision of a product or a service in the market. And when you don't have the undue accumulation of power, right? Corporate power in a market. And there are different ways that you can accumulate that power. Um, sometimes it's by uh, mergers, right? And so uh, antitrust is applied to mergers uh, that are notified in the United States, typically only the biggest mergers. And the reason it's really important to understand antitrust for your audience, for every American to understand antitrust is because it is so fundamental to our full participation in our democracy. Um, and if I can say just a few words about what I mean by about that, I think that Black Americans have shed blood to give meaning to this fundamental proposition that all people are created equal. Um, our uh, forefathers have um, fought for social rights, for political rights, um, for example, the, the right to vote. But as I've thought about this work more and really gotten in the books and, and read a lot of the thought beforehand, um, what I realized is that so many civil rights leaders understood that social and political rights standing alone would not be sufficient to protect our full participation and our full citizenship uh, in this country. That you really need economic liberty as that third plank to protect all of your other liberties. And there's really incredible scholarship and writing from W.E.B. Du Bois, MLK, Bayard Rustin, and others who really um, understood this. And so that's why I'm so pleased to be able to talk to uh, all of you and, and your audience about why I think antitrust is good for the entire country, um, but in particular, Black Americans. Um, given the digital economy that we're in now, like, how important do you think it is uh, to have these antitrust laws? And do you think some companies in the tech space are actually too big to fail? It's a great question. So I think that, uh, let me take a step back about digital platforms um, and the big tech companies. So there, you should know that the antitrust laws apply to the entire economy, healthcare, agriculture, financial services, labor markets um, and everything in between, professional sports um, and education and so forth. But you know, in the last 20 years or so, recall that uh, you know, there was a two-tiered 
uh, recovery from the financial crisis. Um, some people lost a lot and never quite made up ground. Um, some people uh, lost a little bit and maybe are doing a little bit better. And there's a sense in this country for a lot of people that economic opportunity is not what it used to be. And the tech platforms are interesting because that sentiment that I just described actually is true regardless of who you are, your demographic, or your political leanings, right? So people on the left and the right are concerned about economic opportunity in this country. And for a lot of folks who are self-styled conservatives, they're thinking about the tech platforms and the power that they have to censor people, the power that they have to deplatform people, um, the power to control what ideas even make it to the public. And, um, you know, in the case of uh, Google, for example, which I can talk about because we filed monopolization cases against Google, um, one of which went to trial last year and uh, where we look forward to closing arguments in the spring and another one that's going to trial this year. And so I think that some companies are both big and do things that are against the law. And in the case of Google search, that is a case about a company that has we'll say 90 plus percent share of all the internet searches uh, that are conducted every single day in this country. And they entered into agreements with browser uh, companies, with device manufacturers, including your phone device manufacturers, um, with wireless carriers and the like to make sure that they were the default search engine. And what's interesting about those digital platforms is that, like Google search, is that the more people use Google search, the better the product becomes. And it also deprives competitors of the opportunity to uh, provide you a product. And so digital market, this is you know, a, a concept that people call network effects and such. But again, let's zoom out and talk about why that should matter to uh, all people. Um, you know, when you go and conduct a search, you might be looking up healthcare information. You might be thinking of um, reproductive information. You might be thinking about um, really intimate personal decisions about how you are going to live your life and how you're going to exercise um, your rights as, as a consumer. And so having competition among search engines to give you the very best search results is very important. And we've seen um, interesting reporting about how, um, you know, concerns about how uh, search results are delivered um, can actually bury information that people need or worse, serve up very harmful information. Um, and again, that affects the experience of citizenship in this country. And it's a way that all of us feel the effects and ramifications of corporate power in like very basic ways in our everyday life. Yeah, it's interesting. When we, when we hear anti-trust laws, we usually, again, we hear tech, we hear Google, we hear Meta, we hear Apple. Those companies always come in, into, into the, the forefront. From a standpoint of the average day citizen, it's tough for us to understand it or have a care base about it because we're just so unaware. So it feels like Big Brother is being watched by another Big Brother. And then whatever the result is, we'll figure out how do we get more people involved in understanding just the ramifications of some of the things you're talking about on an everyday basis. 
So I will say that uh, under uh, the Biden-Harris administration and um, this leadership set at the Justice Department to include um, Attorney General Merrick Garland, uh, the Assistant Attorney General in charge of the Antitrust Division, a guy named Jonathan Cantor, um, and other very important uh, figures, including Lena Khan, the chair of the FTC, and others, um, there has been a whole of government approach to thinking about antitrust and competition issues. So way back in July 2021, the president signed an executive order where he said that it would be the policy of his administration to take into account competition and the benefits of um, competition policy and antitrust in every single agency. So every, again, the, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Transportation, um, the Federal Communications Commission, and more are all a part of this effort to uh, make sure that they are taking into account competition principles in their everyday work. For all of us at the Antitrust Division, um, where I have the distinct privilege of serving as the second highest ranking official and working with a staff of more than 800 people who are dedicated to faithfully serving uh, the public and, and bringing the benefits of competition to everyday people, um, we're thinking about just how we talk to the public, right? Antitrust for a long time was really technocratic. Um, it was steeped in kind of murky economics. And um, that's really a shame because as I've gone back and engaged with the history, it's, it's clearer to me than ever that antitrust is for all of us. And so, for example, we are trying to make sure that we're using um, plain language uh, in our complaints, in our guidance documents. Um, or making sure that we're not privileging a small few uh, who already kind of know what's going on at the antitrust division and, and down at uh, the Federal Trade Commission, which is our sister agency, and that we're setting up access for everyday people to get the information that they need. And so we go out and talk to as many people as we possibly can. Um, I'll give you just one example. Uh, we spoke to a group of farmers uh, that were coming to Washington for the day um, just to talk about how we think about competition in agriculture. And we're going out to colleges and universities. We're going out to um, conferences. We're talking to content creators. We're, we're just talking to as many people as we possibly can because we feel so deeply that antitrust is for the people. And we, as public servants, are obligated to protect every citizen in this country, uh, regardless of whether um, you have power, whether you don't.